0: As our society continues to unveil fractures within its social and political systems, the show Align Traced aims to examine topics that are immediate, pressing, and impact the built environment in ways that require urgent architectural responses. A podcast by RAA at the Architectural Association. Welcome to the very first episode of this series of Align Traced. Which will focus on female pioneers and the history of virtual reality. I'm Paula Strunden. I'm a transdisciplinary VR artist with a background in architecture and taught on the AA's Media Studies program. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Krista Kim, a pioneer in blockchain based art and the visionary behind the Mars House, the first ever NFT house. So, hey, Krista, thank you so much for coming today. Um, I actually, as you told me to do, just jumped out of the Metaverse. So I went to Spatio and visited your Mars house. It's an incredible experience. And uh, just to give our listeners a bit of context. So in 2020, you designed the first NFT house called the Mars house that sold for 288 Ether, which was around 500,000 US dollar at the time. And it did position you as a pioneer in the field of blockchain based art. So a building made you one of the biggest MetaBird artists. How did that happen? Oh, wow.
1: So, so basically after I created the Mars House and really it was created during the height of the COVID crisis, uh, the, the intention was to create a space for me to escape in VR, you know, a house mm-hmm. of Zen. I used to live in Japan, so I'm very much influenced by Kyoto and how you can create architecture that is imbued with Zen consciousness right, to create an environment of Zen for the viewer. And so I wanted to create that exact experience in the metaverse, in virtual reality. And I created the Mars House between March and May of 2020 on Unreal Engine 4.2. And after completing that, we're still in the depths of the COVID lockdowns, right? And so it wasn't until December of 2020 when I discovered blockchain for art, I Googled it and then NFTs popped up and I was elated because I've been waiting for this moment for, you know, an actual value value proposition to be attached to my digital art because I've been practicing digital art since 2012. Right. And um, and so I discovered super rare and I discovered known origin and I applied to both galleries, super rare. Um, they they basically greenlighted my application and I was onboarded for February of 2021 intake, and I minted my very first Genesis NFT on Super Rare in February. And then when I was studying the market, I realized that the platforms were still very, very early. You know, the NFTs were, were JPEGs, 2D flat files and MP4 videos. Right? And very low, low resolution and low file sizes. okay? So they're only like, you know, 100 megabyte uh, file limitations at that time, very, very early. But I thought, wow, the actual roadmap and the potential for the development of NFTs are going to become 3D digital assets that are programmed with AI. And I knew that. From that moment, and the reason is because I had a conversation with Zach Yanger, marketing uh, marketing uh, director at uh, SuperRare, and he said that the collectors of super rare art would build their own metaverse galleries and houses on crypto voxels, or Decentraland, or Roblox. No, not Roblox. Decentraland, Somnium Space. You know these early uh, spaces, Sandbox. Right. And then they would actually place their art inside these spaces as a gallery. (laughs) And I thought, wow. So they're hiring architects and building these architectural, uh, you know, 3D spaces in the metaverse and hanging their art. Why not mint the Mars House as the first 3D digital real estate asset in human history? And so that's when I decided to mint the Mars House in March of 2021. And the question for the world was, are we ready for the metaverse? Are we actually prepared to create economies uh, that are built on top of NFT assets?
0: That's amazing. I think uh, what would be super nice, given that we have quite an architectural audience, so you mentioned now that there are these... um, yeah galleries that put two-dimensional art into houses, and you deciding to actually create a three-dimensional environment. So what drove you um to create that particular design, so the colors, the shapes, the um, yeah, what you were trying to achieve with that design, and um how did you feel about experiencing it yourself or sharing it with other?
1: As an artist, I've always been very interested in immersive experiences. And it was in Japan uh, between 2005 and 2008 when I really had my artistic epiphany, and that was in Kyoto. In 2005, I visited Kyoto for the first time after having moved to Japan, to Tokyo. And I visited the Ryoanji Temple Garden, right? This is a very legendary garden. It's sacred, and it's over 1,000 years old. And so when I sat at this garden, I realized that I was actually entering a state of Zen and peacefulness and calm just by being there immersed in that space. And I realized as an epiphany that the Zen monks of over a thousand years ago created this space as an immersive experience. It is indeed like a metaverse, a living metaverse where Zen consciousness is imbued in the viewer through the power of the visual context, of the environment, of the art itself, of the composition, of the you know just the overall look and feel of the place that affects your your state of mind. So, having learned this from that experience, and of course visiting, uh, you know, the Golden Temple and uh, you know Kinakuji Temple, like there's so many beautiful temples in Kyoto. I, I basically wanted to, uh, you know, imbue those same sort of like philosophical context of Zen into digital, right? So while I was uh, in lockdown and, and uh, you know, asking myself the question, what does my dream home look like and feel like in the metaverse? I really wanted to create a house of Zen, you know, a house that actually integrates my artwork and truly my artwork. When you look at uh, the screen... I'm working with the screen, and I'm basically translating the screen from a commercial and uh, message, you know, transferring medium into a medium of Zen and meditativeness and you know well-being, right? I wanted to convert the context and the utility of the screen. So I create Zen, you know, gradient uh, artworks that strips away all the noise and just reduces the experience of the screen to color, light and sound. So I basically have been using uh, this, you know, this uh, artistic, um, you know, DNA, if you will, since 2013, since I graduated from uh, my master's degree um, at LaSalle College of the Arts. That was my thesis, Light in the Sublime. And I've been working with the gradients and creating stills, paintings, and then going into videos and immersive experiences through video, right? How can I create a meditative experience on a giant screen um, outdoors as a public installation through video, right? Uh, a Zen garden, right? <laughs> a digital Zen garden. And so the next iteration, of course, was to build a house that integrates these artistic, you know, the artistic dialogue that I've had since 2013. And I was daydreaming about having LED substrates completely covering the walls of my, my condo. And I thought, wow what technology exists that can actually do this? So I did some research on the Samsung wall. And at the time it was still in demo mode. It wasn't released on the market yet, but they were developing a technology that allows you to create absolute, like full on substrates or architectural substrates covered in LED. And I thought, wow, it would be my dream to have my art video installation on the ceiling and on the floor of the house completely synchronized so that you're actually in an immersive experience of my art. And that is how the Mars house became this basically two screens that are sandwiched. <laughs> and it's a very simple design, but I, you know, it, it works and I I thought, wow, why not expand the LED wall into the pool outdoors, over the patio, into the pool. I mean, all this technology is actually it actually exists. And I have a plan to build the physical Mars house now.
0: It's amazing. I didn't know about that. So that's a little reveal here. But yeah, I think like this idea of kind of marrying spatiality with spirituality, also the reference, like the temples you're speaking about is uh, yeah, extremely inspiring for people creating for the Mars house. And I was just thinking when you speak about, yeah, the, the visual Uh, In general, I think uh, the way how we perceive spaces or also like the recent findings that have come out from neuroscience now is that, uh, of course, it goes far beyond the five senses that we're usually discussing. So we have the seeing, the hearing, the touching, the smelling and the tasting. But there's also our sense of movement. So kinesthesia or knowing where our body parts are where without having to look at them Uh, There's our sense of gravity or I thought super relevant for your work or in relation to your work is our sense of time passing by or our sense of illumination. So these are things that we can actually feel in an embodied way. And um, yeah, I thought maybe you could extend a bit on yeah how it really felt for you personally to then be within these yeah all-encompassing color gradient that are changing over time and um, yeah.
1: Wow, you know, it was truly a cathartic moment for me as an artist uh, to first visualize what I would experience in the house in March of 2020 during the COVID crisis and then to actually be in immersed in the house on spatial as a metaverse installation a year later, right? So after launching the Mars house a uh, few months after that, uh, Jacob Lowenstein uh, from uh, spatial reached out to me with uh, with Jinha. Jin ha Lee and uh, you know they you know spatial was very very early in its development but they approached me to do the first installation of Mars House in the metaverse and I was very happy to oblige so we installed Mars House and we also did a press launch so when I when I sent them the plans, the Unreal Engine files, they had the, the basic structure, the architectural structure. All they had to do was do the, uh, the integration of the model into Spatial. And so that process uh, took about a few weeks. And then when I first visited the space, you know, the, the rough draft, <laughs> the first visitation in my VR headset, my Oculus Quest 2 in Spatial, what can I say? First of all, the process is that you are embodying yourself into an avatar, right? So you're you, you creating your avatar on the platform. At that time, they didn't have Ready Player Me integration. It, Ready Player Me is the interoperable avatar platform across all most metaverse you know uh projects so they had their own proprietary avatar system where you took a picture of your face and that was mapped onto an avatar head and then everybody wore the same plain t-shirt you either choose black or white and you had no tor- lower torso okay so you're just arms <laughs> you're just like this freaky thing in in the in the in the metaverse, the in the interesting uh you know sort of experience of disembodiment embodiment into the avatar, that process, and then being inside a virtual space that your brain is tricked into thinking is real with the lights that are actually, you know, actually triggering your brain. And they're actually there because it's delivered through the the headset, Uh, the sounds, and just the incredible feeling of being on Mars, because you truly are transported to another planet with Mars House. Um, it was just an incredible uh, experience. That that was um, truly one of the highlights of my artistic, uh, you know, journey, right? To, to have the Mars House uh, there and experience it. Um, so, yeah, I think that being in this, uh, you know, um mars it's very surreal and yet you're experiencing it you're embodied in it and yet it's not real like that's that's metaverse consciousness that there are going to be new studies not only on on architecture in the metaverse and and it's you know how the environments affect us physiologically psychologically our well-being our emotional states but also our identities, our digital identities, and how we relate to space, and and who are we in the metaverse, and how do we express ourselves, and that entire experience itself—that's another conversation.
0: Mm. Do you believe that, um, yeah, how we understand who we are is very closely re- related to where we are in space? So, for example, I thought the experience was very interesting being in Mars House. That it not only means to be in another environment, yeah, embodying another. Uh, yeah, person or an avatar in that case, uh, but actually being on another planet. So also seeing, of course, planet Earth hovering somewhere in the far distance, uh, seeing a moon, which is the Mars moon. And um, I think, yeah, in general, this question, how... The relation to the place that we are in or where we are relates to our sense of self. Is that something that's very much part of the work or like the yeah influencing the designs that you're creating? You know, I, I think that it's healthy for
1: us to to reach transcendent states. Uh, I think that the entire exercise of being in the metaverse is actually going to change the way we are as human beings because already I have two teenagers and what I I know everything about the metaverse through them okay so it was through my observation of how they interact and what they do on roblox that really informs you know what I know about the metaverse and then that in as an intersection with my time in kyoto right so those two elements are really what's informing my metaverse understanding so i think that the, the consciousness aspect, the socialization aspect. Um, when people are in Roblox, I find that my daughter's extremely, extremely shy in person, person to person. But when she's on Roblox, she's not shy at all. In fact, she is out there boldly expressing herself. She's got her dresses, she's got her skins, she's selling skins. She is uh, really full on, you know, uh, you know, participating in communities without any inhibition. Okay, so I believe that the social constructs of, you know, our in real life society do not apply to the metaverse. And in fact, there are new engagements. And I think that people are connected to their inner child, much more open, much more social right less inhibited and that's transcendent and then you bring people into other planets and places around the world that is really healthy for people to step outside of their box right cuz most people in the world live inside their boxes boxes of where they live their job you know their daily routines and most people are very unconscious consumers But now with the metaverse, people can be really conscious co-creators and really creating beautiful, creative uh, communities around, you know, whatever they want. Right. So it's going to change our world and make it much more transcendent. We're going to transcend uh, race, religion, politics, uh, you know, sexuality, gender, and all of these things that people are fighting over in the real world, I think that doesn't even matter in the metaverse. And then the avatar, when you actually have really hyper real avatars that uh, allow you to choose the fashion, allow you to represent yourself the way you want, it's this hyper authenticity that I'm really excited about, about how am I going to express myself, you know, in the metaverse? I want to have wings. I, you know, I want to be a big 10 pound gorilla. I can be whatever I want and no one's going to judge you. In fact, your uniqueness is celebrated and your uniqueness is what attracts people to you. So it's, it's a really incredible, incredible, um,
0: dynamic and a whole new paradigm shift. And But for example, having wings for a few hours, meeting people having wings or being a gorilla for a few hours would have a huge effect on how you move around in space, how you maybe meet people, how you gesticulate, how you maybe even affecting your voice. So I would be really interested in from your personal experience, but also, yeah, you mentioned your daughters, for example, observing them, how they behave coming out of the experiences. So how maybe the the virtual and the physical or like the virtual and the material worlds correlate and where you think uh, they might have lasting effects also. So to the sense of self or the sense of being in place, um, where these yeah transformative experience lead to or what are your observations um, can be personal. Yeah,
1: I actually think that, uh, I mean, First of all, um, you know, whatever I believe that the brain is malleable, right, neuroplasticity. And I I also believe that we can actually create new habits and new experiences that change us. Whether it's traveling to another place or whether it's in the metaverse. I mean, it doesn't matter because they're all experiences that we actually have, right? That leaves an imprint on who we are. So, if we can If we can create metaverse, especially this is my concern. I want to create metaverses that are aimed toward elevating human humanity, uh, making us smarter, making us healthier, making us better people. Right. So I'm focusing on projects that promotes education, uh, global travel. Um, and health and wellness are very important to me, but at the highest levels of aesthetic quality. So that is a great intersection with art because the metaverse is the greatest art project in human history, actually, right? If we really think about it. And so, you know, when you think about, you know, how our experiences and different programs and different places that we can go back to and build community and, you know, engage with regularly, uh, I think that this definitely will have a positive effect, but it, that has to be the intention. I wanna create Kyoto, not Las Vegas, right? So I believe that it's important to provide those spaces. And as architects, I think that we should all think think about not only architects of the structure, but architects of the communities and the intentions behind the communities um, and how that's going to actually you know, contribute to the to the world at large. I think those are the greater concepts and ideas that every architect must consider when you're building in the metaverse because it is primarily about the people and the communities that you bring in there. So another example, actually, that I can give is that when you are meeting people in the metaverse or even in Twitter, you know, Twitter's very Web3, right? I have met so many people in Web3 through Twitter and metaverse that when I meet them in real life, there's no, there's no like you know, um, what is that? uh, You know, the awkwardness when you first meet someone, you actually have a familiarity. And that's a wonderful phenomenon where there's no icebreakers needed. You know, that you already feel like you know this person and there's no, you know, yeah, there's no icebreaker needed. So it's, isn't that amazing? That human consciousness and human connection can truly transcend time and space. And of course, I believe that if we really think about, you know, the old spiritual practices of ancient spiritual practices, it is very metaversal. And if you think about how human consciousness brings us together and that can be facilitated through metaverse interaction, that's very exciting.
0: Yeah, it's super exciting. I I, I was just wondering also, what's the big icebreaker than being a gorilla in a room? Um, <laughs> I know exactly. It's like people are their avatars. You know, people have the
1: board apes face as their, uh, you know, as their identifier on Twitter or et cetera. And then you meet them in person uh, and not a lot of them use anonymous handles, right? So you don't know what their real name is, but you still feel as if you know them. It's really, it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Super nice. I think also the, yeah, the whole, idea of being something else. I know that uh, as part of your work, the, uh, the idea of designing through empathy, or compassion, care are very key terms. I mean, you've also been speaking about well-being and mental health and this really putting this at the forefront for the metaverse. And I was just wondering, um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the example of being an animal, but I think also, yeah, how you feel about this being a potential to empathize with yeah, non-human actors or becoming something else and how that might change or, yeah, um, affect our, yeah, our way of dealing with other things. Um, totally. I mean, if, if, you know, I,
1: I honestly believe that, um, people will love, people will be assigned with your avatar. Right. We will all have our unique avatar that exists in the open metaverse and it will be connected to us biologically through technology, through A.I. Um, I actually my friend Teddy Pahagbia, who is another metaverse um, uh, expert and my a partner of mine, he he is actually creating a project called Homoversions. And homoversions are basically avatars, hyper real, that are connected by your unique heartbeat algorithm, right? On a wearable. So it could be an Apple watch, for example, or it could be the ring. And it's connected biologically, all the bio data to your avatar, right? And so if we are all assigned an avatar, how are you going to have that avatar represent you? You have all of the choices and options Ever. I mean, there are there's so many options available. If you think about gaming, it comes from gaming. So you could be whatever you want. So who are you? Who am I? Right? And I think that most people are trying to be something they're not in the world or trying to be somebody like somebody that they admire. Okay. They're not asking the question, who am I? What will make me happy? Well, I think the exercise of creating your avatar will be about me. Who am I? Let's be radical about who I am. And I wanna show that off into the world and everybody everybody loves to see my uniqueness, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. It's about that celebrating fluidity, celebrating uniqueness, you know, that unique authenticity. And, you know, I, I like to talk about the gradient also philosophically, cause I, I'm all about the digital gradient since 2012. The gradient represents the new digital human because we are entering, because of the technology that we're engaging with decentralization, blockchain and the metaverse and avatars, all of these things, we're all becoming fluid and fluidity is represented through gradient. And the gradient is uniquely digital in terms of how it is created. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think that we're entering a whole new realm in the world where the metaverse will actually facilitate this whole new civilization, like this whole new way of, um, you know, interacting with other people from all over the world. And it's going to be a global phenomenon. And when you think about AI and how it's going to break down all the language barriers, right. Eventually, we are all going to be able to communicate with one another very freely, very openly. And I think, I think we're just, Basically, going to enter this whole new world where we are all transcendent, and uh, you know, it's all about radical authenticity, and it's it's a global thing too. So it's it's quite exciting, and it's going to include everyone.
0: Yeah, I want to. Uh, I think it's super interesting that you came up with this idea of fluidity or the gradient, um, and I'd like to uh, go into the techism text you wrote in two thousand fourteen. Um, so you started your own movement in 2014 and you wrote a text that's also, yeah, can be read on your website. And just to quote, uh, you say in the digital age, data has power, digital is fluid. We are more fluid. Um, but then you also mentioned within the context of this fluidity or the power of data, big companies like Facebook and Google. And I think the question of who is providing the infrastructure for all this fluidity, for all this data to be... Um, yeah, to be flowing, to be kept flowing, and uh, yeah, who defines the rules of that world? So I think your enthusiasm and the excitement—it's—it's it's extremely inspiring, and uh, like it, it makes you yeah, it makes you kind of wanting to put on the headset and jump into it. But then, of course, like in reality, we're confronted with a lot of skeptical voices. We're confronted with these yeah big tech companies. And I was just wondering if you could also, yeah, let us know what you think about that and where you think they're being, where they position themselves within these discourses.
1: What I love about uh, blockchain is that it is a Pandora's box. It's a technology that we cannot put away and put back and it's box, it's here. And it is as profound as the introduction of the internet. Um, I think that this technology with AI you know, the the blockchain, and then, and of course, you have the metaverse. The convergence of these three groundbreaking technologies uh, is going to create in- unprecedented disruption and change in the world, okay? So, you know, when you talk about Google and, and these large companies as a meta, um, yes, they are very centralized, and that's without a doubt. But you also have... Um, the architecture and the language of the architecture—it's very Marshall McLuhan. You know, the medium is the message. Eventually, they are going to, uh, you know, acquire or adapt very sort of decentralized Web3 ideals, right? Because that is simply the—that is simply an energy force that they cannot—they can, cannot ignore, and that's something that they will have to adapt to and you already see Amazon creating their own blockchain and you already see Meta that's doing the same and they're you know everyone's jumping into blockchain because blockchain is simply a technology that works and it's going to make the world better and more efficient and that is what every 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 uh you know major technological innovation has already always shifted toward the technology that makes life more efficient and productive right so it makes sense for business and it also affects us socially but I think that what you don't know is that there are companies that are on the rise uh, in Web3 that are decentralized, that are going to introduce decentralized social media, that are going to in- introduce creators economies, uh, you know, in the metaverse, such as Lamina One, L-A-M-I-N-A number one. That is a company that is uh, founded by Neil Stevenson, who wrote Snow Crash and who actually created the metaverse. Yeah, he's the he's he's the one who who uh, you know created it as an author as a futurist, and so he's creating a layer one blockchain protocol that will support an open metaverse that's decentralized and allow creators to participate in a robust creators economy at scale. With high fidelity metaverse builds. So as a layer two, the builds would the, the builders will build, such as myself, projects on top of Lamina One that are high fidelity, where hundreds of thousands of people can participate at one time. So the scalability model and all the technology and infrastructure is being built right now. We don't we just don't know about it. And you know, there are two. You know, there are two um, teams, you know, one is centralized web 2.5, which is what Web 2.0 used to be now adopting blockchain, that's Web two point5, right? And then you have Web 3.0, which is completely on decentralized blockchain systems, and that is completely decentralized. This is happening. Right? No, this amazing. is something that we're not yeah, it's happening. It's not like science fiction, when I was at NFT Paris, what I loved about NFT Paris, was that everybody uh everybody there's a consensus in the world every human being there agrees with an open metaverse not a closed metaverse and everyone is is actually going to adopt web3 and you've got major corporations every single major conglomerate was represented uh at NFT Paris so when you see the potential and where the money's going and where the focus And the attention of every corporation is going, it's going toward more sort of like blockchain adoption and Web3 concepts. And that's only going to evolve more and more as we as culturally we are more and more adjusted to the idea. It's going to get more and more robust, more and more advanced. We're still very early.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I think the whole idea of decentralization. And I think, yeah, next to this topic of scalability or how robust this infrastructure will be, I think the yeah the question of accessibility, of course, I was also wondering what are your ideas because now we see platforms like Spatial where you can, I don't know, that you can access through all different devices. You can go to mass on your phone or on the laptop if you don't have a headset on hand. And um, yeah, I was just wondering what you think about these possibilities and where you also see the future heading towards so what's the yeah which importance will these devices have and uh, how do you see them merging with physical space or yeah physical activities um, the material world basically well the in the immediate short term and i'm talking about 2 years out we
1: are going to see a robust architecture built by companies like lamina one to you know support high fidelity unreal engine quality i mean metaverse builds that that are scalable right for millions of people to participate on one single uh, metaverse open metaverse platform and that that is the that is the ideal that is the goal then you're going to then you're going to have the emergence now of of 6g 6g we have 5g right now that's spreading around but 6g is the next and six G is really going to allow us to have like uh ready player me quality um AR experiences. Because once once the AR glasses, right, are a viable technology in terms of the advancement of the fidelity, the quality, the fidelity of the graphics. And also, you know, with coupled with 6G, you know, um, you know, Wi-Fi capabilities, we are going to deliver uh digital experiences that are nearly indistinguishable from our real world, from what the physical, you know, reality. So that is going to change the world again. (laughs) And that's coming very soon. Uh, So Apple glasses are going to launch very soon. We don't know. Within the next two years, three tops. Within the next five to 10 years, the technology is going to accelerate as everything is So I would say within 10 years, we are going to have a completely different world where people are wearing glasses, AR glasses, or AR contact lenses. And our daily life will have this digital layer of immersive experiences and uh, information. And it's all going to be a convergence of AI with this AR tech. And that's also the metaverse right so the metaverse is not only vr the, the metaverse is ar the metaverse is a consistent layer of reality that is transposed on top of our of our uh you know physical reality so the convergence is real the convergence will happen within 10 years and i you know my purpose as an artist is to be prepared for that and to make sure that we are creating art that will not harm humanity cuz i I think many artists and many, actually all of the you know creative people in the humanities period, were not present at the at the inception of Web two, with social media and all of that. There was no artistic humanities, uh, you know, participation in any dialogue considering that technology and how it completely took over and social media has now caused the most mental health problems in the world of history. So mental health and loneliness directly correlated to social media. And I think that the problem is that there weren't people in the humanities and arts that were participating or or talking about it. And I think now we, we cannot repeat that mistake. That's why I wrote the manifesto in 2014. We must engage with technology to make it human, to make it humane right? And that's the, that's the rule of art. So that is why I'm doing what I'm doing, so that when we are ready, we actually have art and immersive experiences, just as a, as a common practice in the industry, you know, as an awareness of the industry to participate willingly, healthy environments, environments that are not hurting our state of mind, that are not making us crazy because we can easily bring people to a dystopian hellhole or we could bring them into Kyoto. So I I think that this is a very important period of time as a creator to make those inroads with those major companies and also to start creating. And so I I encourage artists um, and architects to, to participate.
0: Yeah, I think that, yeah, that brings me to my last question because I think, Yeah, you're describing these immersive environments, of course, as being perceived as real. So being highly immersive, being highly spatial as well. So what would be your recommendations for spatial designers, for young architecture students, for architects today that are entering that realm, that are interested in, as you just described from the perspective of the artist, shaping and participating in the way how we will be perceiving that future um yeah what are what are your thoughts like as maybe yeah recommendation or propositions i think that it would be great to have intentions you know of the space
1: what is your intention of creating the space what kind of feelings emotions and experiences do you want to deliver to people right and how will that be facilitated through your creation so you're not only working on a physical or like you know digital architectural installation the structure What about the programming? Think about hardware and software. Who are you collaborating with? Right. What are the communities that you're building for and have a clear idea of the intentions? That's, you know, that's really, that's really at the bottom line that is so essential in creating a meaningful space that people will go back to, because those are the feelings that people will want and crave and that's what they'll go back for. Right. And so you're also going to collaborate across, you know, different, uh, you know, different uh, expertise. So I think it'd be wonderful to collaborate with people who are in, you know, neuroscience or, or collaborate with people who are educators or collaborate with people who, you know, um, actually produce physical events, um, who understand the physical as well. Because, you know, I think that, you know, just having, uh, you know, input and ideas that are from diverse, you know, ideas. I think that's a healthy thing. And yeah, having a great strong philosophy and, and raison d'etre is always a good thing.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Krista. That was, yeah, incredibly inspiring and motivating to enter the realm. And yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Paula. Thank you so much for joining us on this first episode of Female Pioneers in the History of VR, exploring the visionary insights of Krista Kim and her unique perspective on the metaverse. Next episode, we look forward to having you with us again as we delve into another extraordinary life of a female pioneer in the world of VR. Stay tuned and keep exploring the untold stories of the metaverse. Thanks for listening to this episode. Air AA podcasts are developed, recorded, mixed and edited by the Architectural Association from our home on Bedford Square in central London. To find more episodes, view the show notes and explore other Air AA series, visit air.aaschool.ac.uk.